Hello, you are listening to Beyond the Briefcase, a law school podcast with Sarah and Meg. Recording this episode, we are officially one month into law school. This week, Sarah and I chat about how it's going. Sarah, I mean, let's start with the uh, with the studying and with the workload. What's that been like for you? Oh, for sure. Before I jump into that, I want to say I am extremely proud of us. I know it's only one month. People, don't don't say anything. It's not a lot if you're looking at the three year span. But I feel like that one month was such a big learning curve that I'm just so proud of us for getting through it. And I feel like both of us are pretty confident, like doing doing well. And I'm actually surprised with how I'm feeling at this moment. I I thought I'd be a lot more stressed. Me too. Me too. I don't know. I, you know, I almost feel bad for agreeing and for, for saying something similar too, because I don't want to jinx anything. You know, I don't want, um, I don't want our positive energy to incur something that's the opposite, but I'm enjoying it so far. I really am. And I, and I, and I think, you know, I mean, we'll dive, we'll dive into, you know, what it's been like prepping for school, the extracurriculars, social life, what it's been like juggling school with the podcast and everything. But I think everything has been going quite smoothly. Again, fingers crossed, knocking on wood. I would knock on wood, but I don't want to interrupt the recording. No, exactly. But anyway, so after saying that, I'm definitely can jump in in terms of how I'm prepping at least. So one thing that I was surprised that I'm actually doing that I didn't think I would be doing uh, is case briefs. So when I'm reading my cases, I summarize them immediately in a case brief as I'm reading them actually, which helps mainly for the fact patterns because uh, I want them to, so, so if, if I do it afterwards, sometimes I'm gonna forget some specific facts. And that's not something that I thought I would be doing. I didn't think case briefs would be something that would help me, but I've actually found them very, very helpful. Um, especially for the classes that are mainly or only focused on cases. So yes. let's say property law. Yeah. When it comes to constitutional law, my preparation has been a bit different, but I still do case briefs for the cases that we see. But I feel like there's a lot more kind of outside information that I'm including as well in terms of constitutional interpretation tools or different things like that. Well, actually, before we dive into the differences between, let's say, prepping for contract or property versus constitutional, let me also share my experience with case briefs. Um, They have been really, really helpful. The first week of law school, I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'm not going to try case briefs. Maybe I'll just use some kind of other close reading system. And then I was like, okay, actually, let me let me compile a couple of case briefs. And even with one week's worth of readings, it took me like three hours to go back and review and and do all of those sequentially. You know what I mean? So now, like Sarah, the moment I finish reading a case, I'll just do the case brief because I think that just works so much quicker. And I actually think these are really helpful because I, one, making these case briefs helps me to focus on the rules and the principles and the outcomes of these cases. Um, I, I like to pay attention to the facts as well, but sometimes I get too caught up into the narrative. 
and I'm not paying enough attention to the actual doctrines and principles and, and rule of law that's um, manifesting out of these cases. And I feel like when I compare cases, it's more important for me to compare um, these these elements. And also I realized that, um, at least at the University of Toronto, a lot of our exams are going to be either take home or open book. At least, you know what, let me just speak for myself. At least with my classes, it's like that. So um, we've already had a couple of in-class uh, assignments, in-class writing exercises, and it's been really easy to open up relevant case brief documents rather than to go back to a textbook, go back to class notes, anything like that. Um, but Sarah, how have you been prepping for constitutional law? Because my experience with con law has also been different than with my other courses. Yeah, so like I said, I have been including some of uh, the case briefs, but what I found with constitutional law, and this I think is more a question of how my professor is actually structuring the class than constitutional law as a whole, um, but my professor doesn't tend to make it very apparent until later on what specific principle he's trying to kind of showcase in a specific case or what specific doctrine. A lot of the times it's the, the doctrines of constitutional interpretation like paramountcy. Yes. And so what I've noticed is actually we just finished one of the major sections, which is federalism. And what I did is I reviewed all of my notes from that point on and created an outline. And that's something that's been helping me a lot. That's actually really good. I don't want to interrupt you. I'm just so passionate about what you've just said because that actually works really well. So instead of going, oh, let me just look at this case or that case, you know, X, Y, Z, you can say, oh, let's just talk about all the cases that relate to federal paramountcy or all of the cases that relate to, you know, the three branches of POG or the, all of the cases that look at double aspect or, you know, whatever it is, right? Um, because I also agree, sometimes in my constitutional law class, I have trouble seeing <laughs> what it is that we're actually talking about by no fault of anyone other than myself, I think, where I'm like, oh, I just don't know what is going on. Um, and I think that's because I get so caught up in the um, often uh, purple prose of constitutional um, law opinions, the ca those references and, and case um, opinions and stuff like that. So I think focusing on the actual thematic, you know, or doctrinal um, ideas, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I'm going to steal that exactly. idea. Exactly. <laughs> So once I knew everything that we were supposed to cover, all of the doctrines, everything like that, I listed them out and that's when I started associating cases. And I actually discovered <laughs> some cases that I didn't think were supposed to relate to a specific doctrine actually could also relate to that and related to two things at once, for example. So th that's something that I loved. And in terms of outlining, I actually use that for my other courses as well. I'm of the opinion that doing it early on is gonna help me just because I know that everything's fresh in my mind. I have a current understanding. And so as sections are covered in the syllabus for the most part, I've been outlining. Uh, for constitutional law, I feel like I have to go more in, in larger sections rather than week by week. But when it comes to just cases like property law, I can group them together within a topic. Like, yes, like, yeah, uh, like trespass, trespass and then outline. Yes, exactly. And I know that some people are going to be like, oh, my God, you're crazy outlining already in September, October. But 
that's just the way I do things. And I think it's going to save me time and also save me a lot of stress once I reach the exam phase. Um, for people that think that it helps them to summarize closer to the date, then that's great. I like summarizing early on. And then as the weeks move on, I'm already studying. A hundred percent. Also, you know, we don't have to think about uh, summarizing or uh, outlining like you're creating perfect summaries or perfect outlines from, you know, from the bat, from the gate, right? So if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> and you know, listeners, it's because we share one class together. We share property lock together. And sometimes I'll look over to see what Sarah's writing on our laptop. Um, but I think you have some kind of Word document or Google Doc or, or, or something of that nature. And you will have a couple of, you, you, I think you have like a table of content section or, you, you know, you, you start grouping it together by topics. What I like to do too is, so for instance, that doesn't actually work for me too much because the moment I see a really big document with a lot of pages, I tend to get a little overwhelmed. So what works for me is I have all of my case briefs as separate Word documents. And then once a month, maybe, I will go ahead and group them into folders with the topic name as well as like three or four word descriptions of what that topic means. So for instance, like in contract law, um, formalization, what is the quick and dirty way of thinking about formalization or um, certainty? What's the quick and dirty way of thinking of certainty? And then I'll, I'll go and I'll say, oh, can I actually remember what that case was about? Does it go into estoppel? Does that go into formalization, right? And I'll do that maybe once a month. So I'm not actually even opening up the case briefs, really. I, I only do that if I completely forget what it's about. But again, that will take maybe 10 minutes. So again, for me, it's not creating anything, um, you know, that looks perfect. It's simply a way for me to catch up on bringing all of the cases that I've looked at together. Yeah, actually, um, so the document you saw me preparing is very similar <laughs> yes. to what you're doing, except I like it in a table of contents fashion that I can just, uh, during the exam, I'll click on one of the topics and it'll bring me automatically to that uh, area. So usually what I do is I'm going to have the topic, I'm going to have the specific rule, and then I'm going to have the principles that are associated with each case. And then they're going to be separated. It depends on the topic. But in one of the topics, I think it was trespass, there are three sub-elements of trespass and each case was associated with one of the sub-elements. So I divided it like that. In some cases, it's not as clear cut. Um, in some of them, let's say in since that we just did, it's more kind of the types of rights that you have as an occupier. Um, and well, what can what is actually a lawful right and what is something that is not a right at all? <laughs> so not something that they can protect. So it's going to depend on the topic, but that's how I've been doing it. So it's a lot more condensed than my case briefs. And then my case briefs, I also have them in a table of contents format so that if I wanted to re kind of remember the facts of a specific case that or something really like that, then idea. I'll be able to go back in. I really like that. Yeah, because, you know, again, you know, you're not just reading these cases for the sake of reading them. You're all you're always asking yourself, you know, uh, well, what's the point of this course? Right. You know, it's to take this exam that is structured in this very specific form uh, that allows you to use an open book or even allows you to have 24 hours or however long it is for take home. In any case, you really want to say, OK, well, in September and October, what what am, what should I do that will 
make my life when I'm studying for a bunch of exams down the line so much easier. And I think for both of us, um, our techniques slightly differ, but I would say they're principally the same, really. Yes. Yeah, the purpose. And it's just the only differences, like I said, are format and that's based on how we study best. Yes. And so I think that's important listeners. The take home here is that there is no perfect way of organizing your outline or even the information that you need to put into it. It's based on your type of learning style, the way that you study, um, what you tend to forget or not forget during exams and high stress situations and stuff like that. Um, Some people are going to forget specific facts. Some people it's going to be the general underlying principle that is just going to slip their mind. So organize it that way. And, And that's why it's important really if you can before going into law school, get to know yourself. It's very possible that your style of studying is going to change a bit in law school, but I would not say significantly. And so it's important to have learned this already throughout your undergrad. I think it's going to be very helpful. I was going to say too, I was actually going to disagree with you. I actually don't think for the most part, your study patterns are going to change too much. Unless of course, maybe you identify some problems and you want to actively change that. If you have a tried and true method that works for you, that worked for you in undergrad or, you know, your previous um, education, uh, chances are that that will work for you well in law school too, actually. Um, no, exactly. That's what I meant. So that's why it's, it's important to get to know yourself in undergrad, because although it might change a bit, I don't think it's going to change significantly at all. Me neither. Well, okay. This is actually a really good segue because Sarah, how have you been, and I'm going to cram these two topics together, but how have you been interacting with Uh, your, I guess, method of studying. So uh, self-study or group study. And then also, you know, before we started law school, we heard that it was often very difficult to reconcile studying with the rest of life. How has that been for you as well? So when it comes to my method of studying, I've always been a loner. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. Um, So I always preferred self-studying mainly because I find it very difficult to find people who match my speed. And then there's always going to be differences in terms of what I understand versus what they understand. And a lot of times it would just cause me more stress, actually. And I'd start second guessing my understanding, although for the most part, it was correct. Um, Or at least in in, um, the main part, and I could apply it well during exams. So that's why I prefer just doing it on my own at home. I'm comfortable. I have a lot more flexibility as well. I don't have to add another kind of scheduled part to my whole routine. I am considering, however, maybe starting a kind of very small study group for quick discussions about what was covered in larger sections of the course. And that was mainly when I was going through constitutional law, because constitutional law is really the one topic that at the beginning of the semester, I was like, I do not know what's going on at all. And I was very scared about how I was going to do and am I going to be able to understand at some point. And so that's why I had the idea of, oh, maybe these discussions would help. But I feel like now with that kind of eureka moment, of the outlining and being able to associate the cases to kind of the larger interpretational doctrines. I'm starting to feel like I won't need that, but I still kind of have that in my back pocket. I think it might be kind of a last resource 
for some of the courses that I find more confusing or a bit harder to wrap my head around. Yeah, I, I agree with you. So this is very interesting because I think Sarah and I, we work together very well. Of course, we make this podcast, right? And I think like I love being in property law with her. Um, but it is really interesting because I have always really enjoyed self-studying. And so I just, uh, it, it, it's really interesting. Like I love hanging out with friends, but when I'm studying or when I'm trying to understand something very complicated, uh, I have to be alone <laughs> because I just get too distracted otherwise. And this is something I've always experienced. It's something I know very well. So I think to go against that would be to do, to be doing myself a disservice. Um, also, I'm someone that the moment I get too confused about something, I just want to go for a run or I want to just go and lie down or do some yoga and think about it while I'm doing something else. And, you know, when you're studying with friends or, or, or you know, coworkers or classmates or something like that, it's harder to act as idiosyncratically as I think I would like to when I study. <laughs> and also, like Sarah said, uh, sometimes when you study with other people, you also have to factor in commuting. You have to factor in other people's schedules. So I would love to do a discussion group, but that would have to be something rather uh, rare um, and scheduled down the line rather than something more consistent. Um, for me, self-study has always just been the way that I've understood and done things best. Um, but then also because of that, I actually think that when I self-study, it doesn't take me too long to self-study. It actually takes, a, it takes a, I think, a reasonable amount of time for me to understand things. And as a result, the moment I'm done reading and doing case briefs and creating outlines and kind of understanding it, to a point at which I'm sufficiently happy with, I go and do something else. So I, I try to do nine to fives. I try to not work on the weekends. I try to spend time with friends. Uh, and as a result, I've actually found it to be very easy to reconcile studying and life. Sarah, how about yourself? I agree. And I think maybe it's, it's the fact that the self-study is more efficient because of all the factors that we said. Like you said, we're not going to waste our time on commuting. There's going to be less distractions. Um, also, I feel, well, like you, you can take breaks whenever you want and kind of arrange your, your schedule versus if you're on campus at the library with a group of people, you have that specific three hours, let's say, and that's all you can do. And so sometimes what that's going to, what's going to happen is that, yes, you're going to get work done but maybe not as much work done as if you would have done 30 minutes, then taken a one hour break and then gone back to it based on when you had more motivation, energy, whatever the, the factor might be at that time. But same for me, I am now surprised that so many people say that it's almost impossible to reconcile having a social life with law school. Yeah, I agree. I really do. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Again, I feel like um, by starting off our update episode with this, we are coming across as the like biggest squares, like the biggest narcs. But I actually don't think it's that bad. I think it's okay. No, oh. exactly. Don't hate on us, people. I know. I, know. I don't, don't think hate it's on us. because we have something that people don't have. I think it's because we're maybe looking at it more positively. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think so. Maybe because of our organization. I think, unfortunately, there's this tendency in law because everyone's an overachiever. Yes. That definitely. people want to exaggerate how much time they're spending on things. And you don't need to. It doesn't matter. It's not because you're spending, let's say, 50 hours a week that you're going to do better. 
I think so too. Also, also for me, I just think that by doing other things and also having conversations with other people, you get to actually apply doctrines and principles and rules in your day to day. So for instance, I'm very fortunate because most of my friends, actually all of my friends, perhaps with the exception of, you know, Sarah and, and some law school friends are, are not in law whatsoever, right? And so one, I get to explain these things to them. And two, when they tell me about their days and their work, I go, you know what, actually, this reminds me a lot about this thing I learned in property or this thing I learned in contract, or even actually sometimes um, I'm like, oh yeah, actually, this thing I did not get at all in constitutional law. I feel like we're really gonna rag on <laughs> constitutional law this episode. Um, this thing I didn't understand at all. Actually, I see an application of that doctrine in this scenario. And of course, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because, you know, hopefully, hopefully law is existing around us every day all the time, right? Um, but by kind of separating the two, I actually get to bring the two closer together too, um, as, as paradoxical as that sounds. Exactly. And one thing I've been noticing, and this is ridiculous, I think our property professor would laugh, but every morning now when I'm going on my walks with my dog Yoshi, Every time I step on someone's front lawn, I'm like, trespass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And right? then I'm like, oh, no, it's okay. The remedies injunction. Yes. I took my foot off. There's nothing they can <laughs> do. Nothing they can do. I know. It's just, it's, it's, you know, it really, and I think by doing that and having fun with it and making a joke out of it for, you know, a minute is sometimes better than stressing about it for hours on end in a book, right? Um, that's been my experience as well. Again, don't hate on us. Like, <laughs> we're giving really big square energy. Um, we're not saying that law school is the easiest no. thing in the world. We're just saying that people tend to use maybe scare tactics. Yes. I'm, I'm not sure if it's intended to be a scare tactic, but I feel like going in as a 1L, everyone, even professors, were saying, oh, you're going to have so much work to do. And yes, it's not like we have no work to do at all. We do have a lot of work, but it's a lot easier to organize and manage than I thought. And it might also be because we're, again, in quotation marks, mature students, because granted, I wasn't studying in this way or as organized or maybe as kind of, I, I feel like I'm a lot more calm about everything now and so I've noticed for sure in comparison to what I was doing in undergrad I'm working a lot less in law school Me, yeah anyways we're gonna keep our fingers crossed and not and hope things continue to go that way um exactly and then we come back <laughs> yeah we, we do another monthly like, update oh, this is horrible don't do what we said <laughs> that please strike from the record everything we said in that episode um, hopefully not. Uh, but Sarah, what has been your experience um, with extracurriculars? So what we mean by that is, uh, or what I mean by that rather, is um, like working groups or volunteering um, at law school. Yes. Yeah, so that's something that's just started, at least at the University of Toronto. What I've noticed is a lot of these groups kind of the application cycle and everything was during the month of September and then everything's now starting in October. One thing I've been noticing, the only thing that I find that these extracurriculars are doing that's making my scheduling a bit more difficult is the fact that a lot of the meetings are always during the lunchtime, which is fine. It's just making it difficult for me to meet with another group from another class for an intro to Indigenous law. 
which is a pass fail. So it's not the end of the world, but that was the one time that we knew that everyone was always free because we don't have the same law school schedules. And now that time is gone. So that's been a bit more complicated. Um, I completely agree. What's very strange to me, and, you know, I don't want to name any groups in particular. um, and, And again, you know, for me, what I can gather is these working groups are are big, you know, these groups. However, uh, it's maybe like a couple dozen people and it's going to be the same people in those groups year round. Uh, so, you know, when you know that everyone has the exact same lunch, when you know that um, everyone has Friday off, to me, it makes a little more sense if you have something, if you have a group within, you know, 10 or 20 people, uh, to maybe do some kind of doodle poll or some kind of uh, crowdsourcing of availability rather than to um, just send out these emails imposing a, a certain time. Because one, I think, you know, we're all, we're all trying to be professionals. We're all trying to, you know, we're all, we're all out of undergrad, right? So we all hopefully have lives that are outside of law school. But then also, you know, um, we're all encouraged to be quite ambitious with the number of uh, volunteer opportunities we try to undertake. So, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to me. I, I, I've run into a similar situation, Sarah, where I just think, oh, I, I want to be able to give my time to both. But I also would like to just let the organizers know, you know, I also have these other commitments. Um, and, and some of these schedules have been consolidated a couple weeks before. So I, I would feel terrible to abandon that kind of um, obligation. So I don't know. Exactly. But I am looking forward to starting to work with these groups a lot more. So far, the only thing I've been able to work on is um, a little bit of editing for the law review, uh, which I'm working as an associate publications editor. And so they had some blog posts that were going to be in both English and in French that they wanted me to look over. So that's the only thing I've done with them so far. That's very interesting. So so I'm also doing uh, some editing work. So I'm an associate editor for the Journal of Law and Equity, uh, or sorry, Law and Equality rather. And um, I'm also working, I'm part of a working group on Indigenous um, child welfare and self-government with the Asper Center. And I would say that um, the Asper Center work so far seems quite structured. And I think that's because they're in their second or third year of this specific working group. So I think they, because they come right out of the University of Toronto, if I'm not mistaken, um, they get a little more independence and stability with how they want to carry out their um, their structure, their organization. Um, but But I'm looking forward to that. I think the first meeting for that is this Friday. So... You know, when we do our next update episode, I'll be able to let everyone know how that goes. That's exciting. Okay, social social life inside <laughs> and outside of law school. Um, Sarah, how's that been? How's that been? We're for laughing, you? but it's actually been good. Yeah, I would say. Um, I've been, I've had the chance to interact with a lot of upper year students. I think you have as well because the podcast has certainly helped with that. Um, but it's definitely a good idea, everyone, if you can at least get yourself one person that you trust, that you have good conversation with, that can help guide you through the process. Most law schools will assign you a mentor at the beginning of the year, 
but don't limit yourself to that because I would say the matching process is not perfect. So if it just so happens that you don't click with that person, I'm not saying ignore them, but it's not the end of the world if you want to kind of branch out and maybe try to find someone else. It's kind of like dating sometimes, right? If you get matched with someone you don't know at all, you know, obviously you guys can can know each other professionally, but sometimes it's like you 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 go and grab coffee or lunch with them and you're just like, you know what, you're really cool, but I just don't think we match on the same energy. Um, so it's great, you know, if you're at um, a law school that has tons of really um, eager, enthusiastic people, um, I think other people are very willing to reach out and help as well. Exactly. And that's what I noticed at the University of Toronto, at least. Yeah. I haven't been shot down yet. So, <laughs> um, Oh, I, ha I have to say, what's it been like hanging out with some younger uh, students? Younger purely by a couple of years for the most part. Again, we're not that mature. <laughs> Again, we do not want... I uh, Well, I do not want to sound like um how do i say this full of myself or anything but i was surprised that the few years like i'm turning 26 mm -hmm. and so being with a lot of students that are 22 <laughs> i know <laughs> that i can notice that difference a lot of the times in terms of priorities interests of course different things like that and so I, at the beginning of my law school experience, was like, okay, I'm not going to do like I did in undergrad. I will participate in the events. Mm -hmm. I will socialize. I didn't feel a need, per se, to make friends or anything, because luckily I do have a strong friend group outside of law school, and I have Megan Law School, so that's <laughs> all I need. Yeah, but honestly. <laughs> I was like, I can, I can try. And that has not been very successful. Um, the first event I went to, I decided that I would probably not go to any more, <laughs> at least not frequent ones. And that's specific. I'm talking here events involving drinking. Yeah, there's definitely a big disconnect, which is strange because I, I don't think I'm that old. But in terms of, you know, maybe how important it is how much people want to drink, more of a party atmosphere than a cocktail hour, let's chat. Yeah, yeah. I would say that there's a really big difference between uh, maybe a little happy hour uh, kind of reception at a conference compared to, uh, you know, end of week uh, celebrations. <laughs> maybe that's a that's a terrible way of putting it, but um, no, I ag I agree with you. I agree. I think that I think that for a lot of people, that end of week get together is a way to blow off steam, and it's a way to just meet new people and have something in common and really enjoy yourself. But for me, I'm like, oh my goodness, I want to go back and visit my family. I need to, uh, we got to go run some errands. We got to, you know, um, I got like other friends I need to see. I think like Sarah, I have, you know, friends outside of law school that are, are in the city as well. And they're all really busy. So finding the time to hang out with them, I, I want to prioritize that as well. And, and again, you know, I have Sarah, I have a couple other people at law school and I'm like, oh, that feels like plenty. I'm really happy with that. So I think to then go, 
oh, you know, I'm going to shell out Toronto prices for drinks. Uh, I don't know. That's not, <laughs> it's not a great, it's not a great thing for me. No, exactly. So basically what we're saying here is if that's something that you enjoy and helps you blow off steam, this go ahead. Fun. Yes. I'm able to do it in other ways. Exactly. And so that's no longer something that I'm interested in. And right now I'm associating that with age, but it might not be that as well. It's very possible that someone else that's coming in that would be a mature student yes. would need that to de-stress. I'm no longer in that situation when I'm done a long day of school. That's not what's going to help me unwind. And so that's just the main difference. And it's it's very likely that my kind of making it associated with age is incorrect. But that that's what I've been seeing so far. I think so as well. Um, and and finally, our last topic. Just so we don't we don't we don't go over time. Um, what's it been like to work on this podcast while doing law school? I've loved it. Me too. Yeah, I really loved it as well. I love the connections that we've been able to make, not only with the specific guests that we're interviewing, but I've also noticed that even during networks as well, I've been able to meet some people that way. And so it's been very, very interesting. And I like that it's giving us something else to do that's related to law, but isn't studying. Yes, I feel I agree. like it makes it, it keeps law fun for me. Yeah. Definitely. And also, you know, not just connecting, not just connecting, you know, doctrines and principles, but also for me, and I think for Sarah, too, because, you know, maybe I will speak for you. Sarah has been doing just such brilliant work on the social media sides of things. It's been amazing. And I think that you've really used this podcast as an opportunity to familiar to, to really become an expert in a lot of um, editing, visual uh, software what is it, software programs, right, for social media. And likewise, I've taken a real interest to technical production and audio. I've been trying to learn a lot about editing and these different sound effects and things like that, balancing recording in person versus, you know, recording guests um, who, are, who are calling in. And it's been really interesting to learn about law, but also learn about the kinds of larger media uh, structures that help produce entertainment and content related to law. I've, I thought that's been really great. Oh, definitely. And I was missing a creative outlet before. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like this is really kind of satisfied that. And so I'm over the moon. Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm good to end there. Um, if you are, I think this has been, just, yeah. you know, I mean, again, actually listeners before we, and I'll just take you behind the curtain. This has actually been the first time that Sarah and I have been able to catch up on our month. Um, so everything we've discussed, it's been very genuine. It's been really nice to hear from Sarah about how she's been doing. And I'm very proud of her. Oh, I'm very proud of you, too. And yeah, it's been great to actually get kind of the inner scoop. Yes. Listeners, it's not that we haven't been seeing each other. It's just we haven't really been discussing this. Yes. And so it, it's nice to kind of get uh, the other's perspective. And I'm happy that we're both doing great. I'm Like I said, at the beginning, I'm extremely proud of us. Yes. I think we're killing it. Me too. Oh, okay. Let's sustain this energy. Let's sustain this energy. <laughs> oh. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Briefcase. If you enjoy this kind of casual catch-up style episode, uh, we will be sure to record one at the end of our first semester uh, where we talk about what it's been like studying for exams, prepping for a new semester, and starting to think about summer jobs. 
Next week, however, we are going to be doing another guest episode. So we're actually going to be talking to um, Amy Terahar, who is um, Sarah's mentor, I believe. And she is going to talk about what it's been like starting her own firm, what it's been like working as in-house counsel for a network of higher education institutions under Global University Systems Canada. So if you want to hear another guest interview, please be sure to tune in for that. If you like this episode, rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends, and check out our Instagram at Beyond the Briefcase Podcast to keep in touch as well as up to date with all of our episodes. Thank you so much to Adam, our technical producer, and of course, thank you, listeners. I've been Meg. I've been Sarah. Bye.